Support comes from the Rosa Parks Museum on Troy University's Montgomery campus. Located on the spot of Mrs. Parks' historic 1955 arrest and featuring exhibits that chronicle the history of the Montgomery bus boycott. More information at troy.edu slash Rosa Parks. From Troy Public Radio, I'm Tim Phillips, and this is Clarinet Corner. Today, I have two very special guests with me on the phone from Chicago. Uh, one is the longest-serving clarinetist in the Chicago Symphony Orchestra's history, and he joined the orchestra on bass clarinet in 1977 at the invitation of Sir George Schulte. And two years later, he was named assistant principal in E-flat clarinet, and he's played concerts in that group my entire life. And his name is John Ye. Hi, John. Thank you for being here. Hi. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure. And then uh, the other clarinetist is someone that has been performing in the Chicago Symphony quite a lot and also has performed um, as a freelancer in the Chicago area, has done a lot of chamber music and a lot of teaching and is kind of a household name herself. And this is Teresa Riley. Teresa, thank you for being here today, too. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to have you, you two, because John's new CD, Chicago Clarinet Classics, which is is a wonderful addition to the the CD selection that we have as clarinet players, as are all the rest of his CDs. And this one has a recording of a work that you composed. And I didn't really know that you composed it all. And I guess you're kind of not a composer, but maybe you kind of are. Will you tell me about that? Yeah, sure. Well, I didn't really know that I could compose either. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, I've always dabbled in it here and there, but I never had enough time to really, you know, spend and invest in software um, and all that until the pandemic, you know, so as many, many people um, found themselves with lots of time. So it was a, it was a blessing because, you know, I'd taken a composition course here and there and I always loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I have a background in sound recording. So in that field, I was exposed to electronic music and I did some electronic music compositions and things like that. Um, uh, even in high school, um, I remember doing uh, a collaboration with a mentor, um, where we, you know, uh, I got to compose something using sampling and things like that, but never, never really, sitting down with a pencil Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then um, trying to navigate uh, um, software to get my ideas down. So that was fun. That was a fun project. Um, mm -hmm. Now, when you are composing, do you have your clarinet there too? Or do you like do it on the piano? How, How does it, how does it come? Well, that's a really good question because to be honest with you, when I'm at the piano, it comes very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see what I'm doing. It's all very organized. However, my piano skills are really limited. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that's part of the reason that my composition never really got off the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what I started doing a couple years before the pandemic was that I started taking um, – trading lessons. I did some lesson bartering with some jazz folks. So I I, um, would get together with a jazz player who wanted to um, improve their clarinet skills. Mm -hmm. uh, And then they would give me a lesson um, in sort of 
jazz composition or improvising. And I learned quickly that that's extremely hard to do on the clarinet as it yeah. transposes up the 12th. And, um, but I, I really, my goal was not to be a jazz performer in any way, but just to learn the clarinet a little bit more from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And so that I could compose, I, I've always had that desire to get my ideas. I mean, I, I do get a lot of um, tunes sort of <laughs> dropped mm-hmm. into my head and I do enjoy, um, you know, working them. And I, I, I feel like I just needed to learn um, how to do it on the clarinet. So I, I think that's a recent thing for me that I sat down with the clarinet and certainly this composition, the forgiveness train was written in that fashion mm-hmm. where, um, I was at my clarinet instead yeah. of at the piano. And, um, and that's why I think it lies really nicely on the clarinet. I, I specifically, um, composed it in a way that it would feel good to play. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, clarinet players are definitely going to appreciate that. Yes, it lies really nicely on the instrument. It takes advantage, I mean, of some of the, uh, you know, tricks and and things that we can do as clarinetists. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was something that was really important to me as well. Um, And and another reason why I wanted to, to, you know, be at the clarinet and not at the piano or in my head. I'm not, I guess a person that would work it out in my head first. I, I really do respond to sound and uh, that's why you'll hear bird songs <laughs> in there. Yeah. So it wasn't just all coming from me, but you know, the sounds around me um, are worked in there too somewhat. So. Well, John mentioned to me that this CD was kind of thought of during COVID where mm-hmm. um, now you, you two are married Mm-hmm. And I'm married to a clarinetist, so oh, I, great. <laughs> so I know how that that can be. You know, one person's practicing in another room or teaching, and then you try to <laughs> vacate that room and go to another place or whatever. Um, but right. it became even more challenging during COVID because we were doing these things within the same walls in the same yes. house while our children were online trying to do right. do school. Um. So, I mean, John, you can chime in a little bit too here. What was that like for you two? Yeah, well, we were in our vacation home in southwest Michigan because everything was online at that point and our daughter was starting high school. Well, that's why we were in Michigan, though, because we were all on top of each other in our really, we live in a very small setting in in the city. Mm -hmm. And it was impossible for us, you know, John be teaching a lesson down our our poor daughter, she like was just inundated with clarinet sounds, surround sound uh-huh. <laughs> from all angles. So in, in Michigan, we do have a little bit more space to spread out. Sorry yeah. to step on you, John, there, but I just wanted to add that. <laughs> I totally relate to this. John, no um, problem. Yeah. what, was, what no. was that like for through your eyes? Well, it was both relaxing and eye-opening at the same time because we were – able to be remote from Chicago, from the city. And it was actually better to do that because we could spread out and we could be in nature. And that provided a lot of inspiration for our creativity. And oh, yeah. that's how this, how Teresa's piece came, uh, came to be is, uh, 
through nature sounds and experimentation on the clarinet when we had time, when we didn't have to go to orchestra, we, when we didn't have a schedule to mm -hmm. adhere to, and it was just uh, an opportunity to, to be creative. And then to put together this project, which was uh, this piece of Teresa's as well as uh, five other pieces by Chicago composers. Mm -hmm. So it was um, definitely a pandemic project. Absolutely. And um, Teresa, when I first saw this, this piece, it's called The Forgiveness Train for two clarinets. Mm -hmm. And, and as, a, mm -hmm. as someone who's married to a clarinetist, too, I was like, uh-oh, what did he do? <laughs> and then I read the liner notes and I saw this has nothing to do with any of that. Um, it's, right. it's a totally different thing. So, so tell me what your thoughts were um, for these movements and what this piece meant. Yeah. Well, I'm a prolific dreamer. I have a very busy dream life. Okay. So that idea, I did speak a little bit about that in the liner notes and I do want to emphasize um it's really important to read these notes. Yeah. And it's frustrating with um with some of the platforms out there. It doesn't seem to be a way to get liner notes, or maybe mm -hmm. I just don't know how to do it. Yeah, it's really hard. With, um, Spotify and all those things. Um, it's frustrating. Um, and sometimes they don't play the, the pieces in the right order or the movements in the right order as well. So that's a little frustrating. But I'm glad you asked about it because, um you know, I mentioned this dream that I had. um you know, I, I think we, the the lockdown and, and the pandemic was extremely difficult for so many people. And I think it brought out a lot of um, wounds, right? Mm -hmm. I, I can speak personally of my own um, probably unfinished business that, that just got brought to the surface as well as culturally and just within our own country. There was mm -hmm. just so much um, disharmony and still is, but, um, yeah. but there were points where it just came to a head and it would come to a head again. And I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, mm -hmm. That was on top of everything else that was going on, um, my mounting fear of germs and being around other people, and then just the, the other uncomfortable feelings about strangers, neighbors, um, friends or trusting people all of those things um and that's sort of the the broader sense of, of forgiveness that i'm speaking to mm -hmm. that came to me and then how you can you know you can gain things from the difficulties from the wounds right that's why yeah. the second movement is called the gift beneath the wounds it's sometimes difficult to see at first glance, but um, mm -hmm. but I did have a dream where I was like in a capsized train and just hanging over this lake, and it was frightening, and the train was dangling over water, and um, but then it was sort of in this forest clearing where there were bird songs, and there was a certain kind of peacefulness, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't say that the dream was very soothing, but it wasn't. A nightmare either so that's sort of <laughs> that yeah. I was kind of you know I was already working on elements of this piece when that I had that dream but I think having that dream was sort of the glue that I needed to to fit the ideas together mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah it does um I think that's a pretty good description of how a lot of us were feeling during COVID because 
um, you would, uh, it was, it was scary, but it wasn't like immediately terrifying. It was, it was like if boredom can be scary, <laughs> it was mm-hmm. almost like something like that. And, um, uh, at the same time we had to maintain this isolation because there was so much unknown about the disease that people were dying and, you know, you had to do everything you could to, uh, to avoid getting infected. So that, that was the, that was the thing about isolation and then having to be isolated because you didn't know if you were going to get infected or how, or how badly, you know, because it was deadly at first. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that, that was, uh, it was scary. Um, and we tried to do everything we could to minimize that danger. Mm -hmm. And I think, being isolated in Michigan in a v- rural setting and having the only contact with with people outside our household was going to be over Zoom or over you know uh, uh, um, electronic media, and it, it sparked a lot of creativity because we had only ourselves and our thoughts and our family and our nature to yeah. to uh, to be together with and i think um in in a way this this is a picture of our activities during during covid you know we didn't we didn't have to commute we didn't have to go to the hall and attend rehearsals and and do performances Uh, we couldn't you know Mm -hmm. so this was a a substitute for the the it was a creative outlet that we had to create devise for for ourselves yeah and i think it turned well, out John, I have to, <laughs> I have to, I have to disagree with John here. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Um, it makes it sound so sunny, but it was really a dark time for me. I being mm-hmm. alone, me alone with my thoughts is something totally different than John alone with his thoughts. So I that was see that. not fun. <laughs> <laughs> I can that see was that. not fun. And, and, you know, we were fortunate that we could isolate. I still felt the weight of mm-hmm. the world for all the people that couldn't isolate and all the people that mm-hmm. were dying. And then all the people that, weren't taking care when I, you know, it seemed like they could be, it was just a big mess and still kind of, you know, it just highlighted a lot of other messes in our world and our culture. And it's like, what do I do? How do I, how do I make sense of this mess? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how can I still create something where I am expressing what I am observing, but still hopefully make something beautiful out of it and um, palatable for others to hear. Yeah. I was, I was talking to my mom during COVID uh, and she told me that her grandmother had lived through a a pandemic. And Mm -hmm. I said, what did she say about that? And she said, she never mentioned it never once. And I was like, right. I had seen with my grandparents, they survived it too. And I, I, they never talked about it. Yeah. And so I, I said, well, the, it, it must be in part because it wasn't as like all day, every day, like cable news and stuff where they're giving you information. Right. And it's like, oh, we have to be freaked out about this new thing. And also right. when I think back on, on that time when we were kind of isolating, um, it felt like the days kind of um, blended together a little bit. Like it was hard to, right. to like actually remember, oh, that day was it was interesting because of this. There was nothing interesting about any of it. It was just mm-hmm. uh, you just mm-hmm. do your, your day and it's like it, like it felt like the same day over and over again, like Groundhog Day. Right. That's right. It was, That's you right. couldn't distinguish. Is it Monday? Is it 
Friday? You know, what, what day is yeah. it? You know, is it the weekend? That's true. <laughs> yeah. You it, didn't know because you didn't have a framework of schedule to keep you like on track. At least for us musicians, I know there were a lot of other people that had it really, they were working more than a regular job, you know, I'm thinking and things like that and that it was just craziness yeah it was a it was a rough time let's do some listening let's listen to the forgiveness trained by Teresa Riley and the three movements of this are the derailment of fear the second movement is the gifts beneath the wounds and the third is the rhythm of birth and this all comes from a new CD called Chicago clarinet classics and the clarinetists here are John Yeh and Teresa Riley
That was The Forgiveness Train by Teresa Riley, performed by John Ye and Teresa Riley Clarinets. And it comes from a new CD called Chicago Clarinet Classics. And it has all music by Chicago composers. Now, Teresa is a clarinet player and not a composer, but I guess you're a composer now, Teresa. I guess I'm a composer now. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, there aren't a lot of uh, clarinet players that can say that that their works have been recorded. Um, and the recording here is actually quite nice. I did have a question for you too. Um, when, mm-hmm. when COVID happened and you were conceiving of this, uh, of the CD and writing this music and deciding to record it, um, what was it like with John, like specifically with the Chicago symphony, mm-hmm. but, but with your teaching stuff too, did, did your income from performing stop? Uh, well, we had to re- take a reduction in salary from the Chicago symphony. We, all agreed to uh, take a take a cut in, uh-huh. in salary because you know the orchestra wasn't generating any funds. Yeah. But at least we stayed 
open and we did get paid, you know, something, some orchestras got completely furloughed and it, it's, it was tragic for, for many performing musicians that were in orchestras particularly, but we were very lucky in that we, we were able to um, subsist and also continue teaching online. And then we had the um, opportunity in the fall of 2020 to do some uh, video concerts with the uh, CSO. Teresa and I both mm -hmm. participated in several of those that are on CSO TV. And there were some beautiful performances, which we had to only do for video cameras and not for live audiences. So we did, for example, the Mozart Grand Partita, and we did uh, a, a wonderful wind octet transcription of Prokofiev's Romeo and Juliet. And so those are all available now, I guess, for free on the CSO.org website. So you can um, go through, and there are a lot of treasures that emanated from that time when we couldn't be performing live concerts for live audiences in our hall, but we were able to for video cameras. So that, that was the creativity that we were able to do uh, in that particular, under the circumstances where we, we couldn't have live audiences. Yeah, or, and that was, that was so great. I remember when those came out. And yeah. I watched some of them, and it just brought me it brought me comfort. Actually, um, I mean, totally. You forget how how much your soul needs yeah. music, and uh, for me, particularly, that kind of music really speaks to me because it's the essence of what I do. And mm -hmm. um, so it was a it was a huge thing for me um, to hear that, and the quality of them of those recordings was was so good. Uh, the, yeah. both the visual and the aud audible quality of it. Yeah, and, and, and it gave us an opportunity to play music that we don't ordinarily do on symphony programs. It gave mm -hmm. us an opportunity to play small chamber music. So mm -hmm. we would do quartets and trios and octets, and the, the biggest instrumentation that we did do was the Grand Partita for 13 players. But it was, you had to stay distanced, it to stay a certain number of feet from one another on the stage. And mm -hmm. there were all very strict protocols that we all adhered to. But it was a way to make music and be creative through a time that we had um, severe restrictions on our abilities. Yeah. And I remember I did some performances during that time and the string players and the percussionists were wearing masks, but right. the wind players generally were not. Although I did some performances where we had to wear a mask and play the clarinet, which is weird. That um, is weird. Yeah. I saw some, <laughs> I saw some bands perform that were everybody like tuba players and flute players and everybody clarinet players were all wearing masks and said, how do they do that? Well, we yeah. never, we never got around to that. And it, we're playing germ machines. Unfortunately, that's what the clarinet right. is. Yeah. It's uh, you know never when, thought about it before. <laughs> when 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 school when things started up again, uh, and when we started doing things in person, I had the luxury of being able to teach in a beautiful chapel on our campus, and the students were clear across the room, and right. whatever. And I was able to do just normal lessons, and uh, you know, for however safe that was, mm -hmm. at least you know we were far apart. But yeah, the 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 mask thing was. Uh, it was just 
weird. Strange. And so is that what it was like? I can't, all I can remember from these recordings that I saw are, is the music. I remember how much, how great it made me feel and how, uh, how good the music was. But, um, was that, was non, the non wind players wore masks through all of them and all the wind players did not wear masks, but stayed, stayed distance from one another. 12 feet apart, I think was the distance. I mean, it was challenging in, in that, sense to no conductor you're 12 feet apart and that right. that was a challenge I remember yeah. playing the grand partita play and having the yeah yes. chamber music spread out so far on the stage that you know the, but it still worked out and and you can see and hear the results and and it was a chapter in our history that has never been and will never happen again like that. Hopefully not while can, we're here. Hopefully um, not while, yeah. It's a, I mean, it, it's a time capsule moment, but let me ask you this. One of the hardest things about performing for many is to just relax and do it and let the music kind of come through you. When you were in those situations where, you know, some of the people are wearing masks and, and whatever, did you have a hard time just relaxing and just, just letting the music do what it does? Well, we didn't really have those situations until I think, you know, um, we were able to. When we started doing the video from the videos, you know, we had to be thinking of all sorts of protocols. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there were. Everyone had to be tested first and you had to. Oh, the testing helps for sure. Test the first and then you complete the project in, you know, two or three days. And, um, yeah, I think. (laughs) To me, it's more concerning as of late uh, now that like everyone's kind of like forgotten about COVID and it seems. And then, but that we still have to kind of like, there's certain protocols to follow if you have it. And as a wind player, that's really tricky. But I think we didn't have, unfortunately, we did not have to be in those situations um, where I think, I think the orchestra did a great job of, of keeping everybody safe. Oh yeah. Yep. They, they, we had a, a, a medical doctor that was a consultant and we, we agreed to very strict protocols and it all worked out and we didn't have any, we did not have to cancel any concerts in our first season back except for one. And okay. that was a, that was a pretty big, um, yeah, that's a huge accomplishment. accomplishment. Yeah. Um, now, when uh, when you're playing a piece like the Grand Partita by Mozart, one of the one of the greatest wind pieces yeah. ever, um, I notice you know there's obviously the need to match uh, sound articulation, all this various kind of stuff. And I notice when Teresa plays with you, John, uh, she does so in a in a, about it about as well as anybody could. And um, Teresa, so I want to ask you kind of about your clarinet background and your um, like your your musical philosophy when it comes to sound and and you know mm-hmm. what what makes mm-hmm. up you as a clarinet player I am always listening for the vocal quality um, mm-hmm. to imitate the human voice to imitate yep. my my voice how would I sing this mm-hmm. if I were so fortunate to have <laughs> a trained musical voice you know yeah. and oh, yeah. uh I grew up in a home where both my parents are um, uh, musicians, the semi-professional musicians. They 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 sing, and uh, my my dad is a, a double bass player. Um, 
and they both play the guitar and sing, you know, so I, I came from that, mm-hmm. like, and, and so that, that initial song is like really important to me. And, and that's what I gravitate to when I hear other clarinet playing that I, that speaks to me. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and, and within that, um, there's a wide variety of different qualities of sound that I like. I think my sound has changed a lot over the years. I'm always never like perfectly satisfied with it and always looking for new, new ways to play with it. Um, but I think the vocal quality is the most important thing and uh, being able to articulate with clarity and mm, of course, playing tune to the best of ability. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a student uh, working on the Mozart clarinet concerto, and today I sent her some recordings of uh, some famous American clarinetists, um, uh, Robert Marcellus and Harold Wright. And uh, I, I don't think she's very familiar with those clarinet players, um, but those mm-hmm. are those were kind of certainly baselines of, of of clarinet sound for me as like a developing student. Do you have um, certain ones that you look back to and you say, oh, that was definitely an influence. That was an influence. Well, John is definitely an influence, whether I like it or not. No, I do like it. I, I really, I'm constantly be, by us oh. hearing him. Yes, which isn't um, a bad thing. You know what? No. Uh, the the clarinet playing I listen to in my house is one of my uh, blessings in many ways. Yeah, mm. yeah. I think of that too. I think, oh, I'm so lucky. I get to to hear that. Sometimes I'm like, wow, I've heard that a lot. Yeah, uh, that particular course, yes. lick or whatever. But yeah. um, I. I, of course, love John's playing. John's heavily influenced by Harold Wright. So by default, mm-hmm. I, I do appreciate Harold Wright. I really um, admire Zabina Meyer, yeah. um, who I was fortunate enough to take some, like, professional coachings with, you know, or I, wouldn't, I wasn't quite a professional yet, I should say. Like, mm-hmm. pre-professional, post-college yeah. coachings with... Um, you took some uh, really important brother, lessons, Sabina. Yeah, yeah. Her brother and her husband, um, both. I I feel, um, uh, you know, Reiner Vela and mm-hmm. Wolfgang Meyer. Um, they they have beautiful way of playing. Um, I tend to be very. I'm open to to a lot of different styles. So, but I think mm-hmm. the the ones if you're speaking to the ones that I would model myself. Yeah. after i think those mm-hmm. would be it but i really do um enjoy so many different styles of clarinet playing yeah me too and, and especially when it's when it's uh, really musical and when it's something mm-hmm. that you haven't heard before which is which is why i want to get into this next thing um bridges by victoria bond that comes from a cd called peculiar plants um published by albany records this has some different kinds of sounds in it that i've never heard on a clarinet cd and if i maybe i have but not very often hardly ever well tell me about that about that piece well, we um, had this great opportunity um, a number of years ago uh, to collaborate with and perform for the Fontana Chamber Arts Society in Kalamazoo, which is Kalamazoo, Michigan, my hometown. Mm-hmm. And um, we were talking with the director at the time and, and discussing possible projects. And I just thought, oh, it would be so cool to do an, um, some kind of a collaboration with Chinese musicians. I, I think I'd probably been influenced by some of the things that yo-yo ma was doing at the time with his like silk road project and um and uh we we were able to they commissioned um 
several works for a group that we put together with a peepaw player and an air hoop player. Okay, th- I gotta um, stop you there. What's a peepaw? <laughs> it's P I P A. What is that? Yeah, it's a stringed instrument, a plucked string instrument, strummed like um, similar to uh, would you say a banjo, John? Like a, it, a banjo or, or like a, a lute or you know something that's plucked. And then the other instrument was the arhu, which is a bowed stringed instrument. So these are two traditional Chinese strings. But it only has two strings, and it's like it's a really unique arhu. Yeah, so we've got kind of like um, but a a very haunting vocal quality. Yeah, very hot. Yeah, very vocal. This this singing high higher pitched kind of singing quality, Mm -hmm. Um, and. so it's the most popular we... instrument in China, the arhu, and really? people play it at all different levels. Yeah, it's a very, um, very vocal sounding instrument. You'd think somebody was singing, and mm-hmm. this is—I'm sure you have heard it. Amazing. Maybe if you've, um, you know. Well, you'll hear it on our be... performance. It's it's absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. It may not it may not be as unfamiliar as you think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If the you listen to a soundtrack or, or... of a of a movie or something like that, um, I, you've heard it before. You just didn't know you were hearing it. The only thing I can think of in Clarinet Land is there's a Tony Scott album about meditation. Do you know this album? No, no. It's um it's called Music for Zen Meditation, and Tony Scott was a like a. Jazz player who just his his uh, his playing just just changed so much over his lifetime and this music is um, yeah it's from the sixties and I and I think it probably has some of those sounds in it but that's literally the only mm-hmm. one I can think of that has any <laughs> anything like this in it and usually with his it's like clarinet with uh, with other you know wind sounds mm-hmm. and strings I'll sounds. have to look into that that sounds interesting yeah it's, it's yeah so we. It's so we formed this quartet called Birds and Phoenix. Uh-huh. The quartet itself is called Birds and Phoenix. And it's and the two of us, Teresa and myself, and then the two uh, Chinese traditional string players, Wang Guowei, who played the Arhu masterfully, and Yang Wei, the pipa player, who lives in the Chicago area. And so we were friends already. And so we got together and we formed this quartet and Fontana uh, commissioned these works from several different uh, composers including Bright Shang okay I know that yes Bright Shang a famous Chinese composer who lives in uh, Michigan Mm -hmm. and uh, and Victoria Bond oh tell me about Victoria Bond we went to Juilliard together she was uh, conducting she was the first woman to get a doctoral degree in conducting from the Juilliard School. And before that, we knew each other in California. And she uh, is really a a musical polymath. She does conducting, she conducts operas, she composes. And, you know, she's, she's very enterprising. So when we asked her to write this piece. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. But I was just going to say we were go we were discussing who should we commission to write these uh, pieces. And right. I remember thinking, oh, we should ask Victoria Bond. She had just written something that John had recently performed, and I really liked it. Now I can't right. remember mm-hmm. what that was. But um, uh, she's written many things for the clarinet over and time. And I've played a lot um, of, I've performed a lot of her and recorded some of her other music too, that um, with Chicago Pro Musica. 
anyway, I, I've known Victoria for decades, and we asked her to write this piece, and she was, she had a connection with China because she was actually a principal guest conductor of one of the orchestras in China, so she was familiar with the styles and the instruments, the traditional plucked pipa and the boat arhu, and she was excited to write this piece for for us, and and you'll hear how how cool it is, and she. The theme of it. bridges was really interesting too. How she, mm -hmm. the, the title bridges, she takes four movements and they each represent a different bridge in a different part of the country. And then, um, two of uh, them are Chinese bridges and three of them are American bridges. Oh one. yeah, I see that Virginia, China, is, California, yes. and New York. And the and the exactly. last movement is the Brooklyn Bridge. That's really she even quotes a, she even quotes a Joan Baez. Exactly. Oh, the, yeah, because there's the Golden Gate Bridge. The Golden Gate. Bridge, the Golden Gate. Yeah. yeah. But it was really neat. And I thought, I didn't even think of this when I was writing the Forgiveness Train. But there is, um, she has a movement. Um, I forget which one it is. The first movement is a train, is about a railroad Is it bridge. the first movement? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. the first movement then is really um, evocative of a train. And um, in a very different way, Um evokes the sound of a train we're using clarinet sounds and then these two other really cool instruments oh that's awesome okay well this is a perfect pairing for this show so yeah. let's listen to the work bridges by victoria bond Bridges by Victoria Bond with Teresa Riley clarinet, John Ye bass clarinet. And John, I'm going to let you say the names of these other two people and what they played. <laughs> and our colleague, the pipa virtuoso, Yang Wei, and our colleague, the arhu virtuoso, Wang Guowei. I want to thank you two so much for, for being on the show and, and walking us through your new recording and your 
this this other recording from the CD called Peculiar Plants by all the music of Victoria Bond, and your new CD, Chicago Clarinet Classics, featuring Teresa's piece, uh, The Forgiveness Train. I just want to thank you uh, both so much for being here and being on the show and explaining all this stuff. Thanks, thanks for so having much for having us. And thanks for doing the show. You've been listening to Clarinet Corner, a production of Troy Public Radio and produced by Joey Hudson. I'm Tim Phillips, and there's a lot more where that came from. This is Troy Public Radio. Support for this podcast comes from Troy University, dedicated to teaching a new generation to lead change. Information on leadership opportunities available to students from day one is at troy.edu slash lead change.